Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. Kevin Hogan here. Let's take a look at our top stories. Civilian evacuations are underway in some Ukrainian cities. More than two million refugees have fled the country since Russia invaded. Moscow threatens to cut off gas supplies to Europe. And the country says a Western ban on Russian oil imports would shake up global oil prices. Lawmakers are calling for domestic energy production amid Russia's invasion of Ukraine. All this while Congress pressures the White House to ban Russian oil imports. Florida's top health official says the state will take the lead in recommending against COVID-19 vaccination for healthy children. This puts the state at odds with the CDC. Ukraine is now evacuating civilians from several cities. It's part of the humanitarian corridors that Russia and Ukraine agreed to. NTD's Jessica Beatty has the latest. Buses arriving Tuesday in the Ukrainian city of Sumy. It's the first evacuation through a humanitarian corridor agreed to with Russia. Ukraine says a separate convoy of 30 buses was also headed to Mariupol to evacuate residents. Hundreds of thousands of people have reportedly been trapped there for days without food, water or power. Russia said Tuesday it's opened humanitarian corridors from Kyiv and four other Ukrainian cities. In order to safely evacuate civilians from human settlements, a silence regime is being introduced today from 10 a.m. Moscow time. The United Nations says over two million refugees have fled Ukraine. Over half of them are now in Poland and nearly 100,000 are in Russia. Russian President Vladimir Putin said Tuesday that Russia is only using military professionals in Ukraine. I emphasize that conscript soldiers are not participating in hostilities and will not participate in them. And there will be no additional call-up of reservists. Moscow describes its actions in Ukraine as a, quote, special operation to disarm its neighbor and arrest leaders it calls neo-Nazis. Ukraine and its Western allies called it a pretext for the invasion. Meanwhile, the Pentagon says Moscow is carrying out more long-range strikes in Ukraine. The mayor of one city in the northeast said two Russian air raids hit them overnight. The center of the city is completely destroyed. Many people have been injured. As of today, we can't find several people. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby said Ukraine is seeing more civilian casualties and damage to civilian infrastructure. Mr. Putin still has a choice here, uh, not to escalate, uh, not to be, uh, not to be uh, more aggressive in the use of these long-range fires and uh, in his capabilities, but to find a diplomatic path forward and to end, end, the, end the invasion. Kirby said they don't believe Ukraine is a safe place for Americans, and he urged them not to go. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Ukraine's military intelligence says that Ukrainian forces have killed a Russian general near the besieged city of Kharkiv. This is the second Russian senior commander to die in the invasion. Major General Vitaly Gerasimov, first deputy commander of Russia's 41st Army, was killed on Monday. This, according to a statement from Ukraine's defense ministry. Russia's defense ministry could not be immediately reached for comment. Another Russian general, who was also a deputy commander of the 41st Army, was reportedly killed at the end of February. Ukraine says its forces have killed more than 11,000 Russian troops. Russia has confirmed about 500 losses. Neither side has disclosed Ukrainian casualties. A nuclear research facility in Ukraine has been damaged by Russian shelling. The facility is located in Ukraine's second largest city, it comes days after Russian shelling hit the Zephyriza plant nuclear plant. The U.N. nuclear watchdog says there was likely no radiological consequence to the facility. Ukraine's nuclear regulator told the International Atomic Energy Agency the incident did not cause any increase in radiation levels at the site. The IAEA says the facility in northeastern Ukraine is used for research and development and radioisotope production. The IAEA director general noted the incident highlights the risks facing Ukraine's nuclear installations during the Russian invasion. Days earlier, Russian shelling hit the Zaporizhia nuclear plant in Ukraine, causing a fire that has since been contained. 
Ukraine has established an international legion for people from abroad to help in its fight against Russia. Some foreign fighters who spoke to Reuters say they are attracted by the cause to halt what they view as an unprovoked attack and a showdown between the forces of democracy and dictatorship. Michael Furcall says he is a former U.S. Army engineer who was in Rome studying archaeology when he heard Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's appeal for foreign fighters. Within days, Furcall was at the train station in the western Ukrainian city of Lviv, boarding a train to Kyiv, hoping to volunteer as a medic. I'm a little bit nervous, to be honest, but at the same time, like it's not about me, it's about the people that are suffering there. So coming out, when you see the images, you see the people that are here right now, you understand that it's, you're not suffering this more about them. Ukraine has established an international legion for volunteers from abroad, and Zelensky has publicly urged foreigners to fight side by side with Ukrainians. Some of the foreign fighters say they are attracted by the cause. To halt what they view as an unprovoked attack in a once-in-a-generation showdown between the forces of democracy and dictatorship, even if it may have been a tough sell for their families back home. They're not happy, to say the least. Definitely not happy, but they're proud. A man who identified himself only as Jax was among a group of British fighters headed to Kyiv. They were led by Ben Grant, who had just completed a month-long stint as a security advisor in Iraq. Grant was unclear whether his men would be deployed independently or as part of a Ukrainian unit. We're going to wait, to be honest, and see uh, what the situation is as we get further in. Another man who said he was a former British soldier and Afghanistan veteran, who calls himself Kruger, warned that even those who have previously seen fighting might struggle in Ukraine's war zones. If you're out here as a war tourist, it's, it's, it's not the place for you. I think the realities of war, if you, if you head out to the front, is going to be uh, pretty overwhelming. Although it is unclear how many foreign fighters had arrived in Ukraine, President Zelensky said last week that more than 16,000 foreigners had volunteered. Google says Russian hackers well-known to law enforcement are engaging in espionage, phishing campaigns, and other attacks targeting Ukraine and its European allies. Google's threat analysis group said in a blog post that over the past two weeks, Russian hacking unit Fancy Bear has sent phishing emails to a Ukrainian media company. Russia denies using hackers to go after its foes. Google did not say whether any of the attacks were successful. The company says a Belarusian hacker tried to steal account credentials through phishing attempts on Polish and Ukrainian government and military organizations. Google also said China-based hackers Mustang Panda have sent virus-laden attachments to European entities. Google described the effort as a deviation from Mustang Panda's standard focus on Southeast Asian targets. Google is buying the cybersecurity firm Mandiant for nearly $5.5 billion. Both companies made the announcement today. Mandiant focuses on cyber threat intelligence, response, and testing. It's also known for uncovering the SolarWinds hack, a devastating breach that impacted a number of federal agencies and private businesses. The acquisition is one of Google's largest to date and is expected to help the company provide secure cloud services to people around the world. Moscow is considering shutting down gas supplies to Europe. This is in retaliation for Germany calling off the Nord Stream 2 project. The country also responds to the West's ban on Russian oil imports, warning of a price catastrophe across the global market. Moscow has threatened to cut off gas supplies to Germany via the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. According to Russian Deputy Prime Minister Alexander Novak, that's in response to unfounded accusations against Russia regarding the energy crisis in Europe and the imposition of a ban on Nord Stream 2. But his government has yet to make a formal decision. Novak also warned against the Western ban on Russian oil imports. He said the move would lead to a catastrophic rise in oil prices, more than doubling to $300 a barrel. A German analyst calls Putin's threat the last ace up his sleeve. He predicted a Western response. The reaction of the West will be to search frantically and quickly for alternatives. For example, to import liquefied gas from America. That costs money too, but at least energy security will be a little more assured. 
Europe gets 45% of its natural gas supply from Russia through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, which runs through the Baltic Sea to northern Germany. For more than a decade, it has operated with an annual gas capacity of 55 billion cubic meters. Berlin called off certification of the Nord Stream 2 project in February, when Russian aggression in Ukraine escalated. Senator Mike Rounds says the U.S. needs to ramp up its domestic energy production. This comes as Congress urges the Biden administration to ban Russian oil imports. Republican senators are concerned about where the U.S. is getting its energy amid the Ukraine crisis. Republican Senator Mike Rounds of South Dakota suggests domestic energy production is key. I think anything we can do right now to, number one, reinforce that we need to have our own uh, uh, energy here in this country and to get it back up to production again. Second of all, anything we can do right now to limit Russia's ability to raise funds, we need to be doing. Senator Mark Rubio believes the Green New Deal makes it impossible for the United States to be less dependent on foreign countries, some hostile nations, for oil. I don't oppose it. I just don't understand why we're going to go to Saudi Arabia to beg for oil, ask a narco-terrorist to, uh, to, uh, for oil, and do an Iran deal with the largest state sponsor of terror in the world when we can produce more than enough oil to make up for whatever it is we buy from Russia. According to The Hill, some Democratic lawmakers are standing behind Senator Joe Manchin's proposed ban on Russian oil imports. But some Democratic senators worry this will send gas prices soaring, which will place blame on them if inflation gets worse. As Congress pressures the White House to ban Russian oil imports, Senator Tim Kaine says there's strong bipartisan support for the move. And then what we've heard from the White House is they're considering it. Usually when you see the train moving like it's moving here, I think you're going to see them, uh, they can get out ahead of us. I wouldn't be surprised if they do. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki disputed the claim that the administration is stopping drilling in the U.S. Uh, but we have already taken steps. The president has already taken steps. Historic release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, one that's done in a coordinated fashion. Saki noted that oil and gas companies have over 9,000 pre-approved leases that haven't been used yet. And President Biden just announced his administration is banning Russian oil, natural gas, and coal imports to the U.S. in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Biden said sanctions imposed by the United States and its allies have already caused the Russian economy to crater. He said the latest moves had been made in close consultation with allies and partners around the world. As leaders on Capitol Hill continue to push for change, the average price of regular gasoline in the country has risen above $4 per gallon for the first time since 2008. Drivers across the country are trying to cope with the soaring costs. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. At the Vince Lombardi Service Area gas station along the New Jersey Turnpike in Ridgefield, New Jersey, drivers say the high prices are hurting them. It stinks because everything else is higher and they don't, they don't give a damn about people anymore. And nobody's going to tell me that they're not making money because they are making money because because of us, we're still supporting them. Some customers considered returning to simpler modes of transportation. Well, 2008, I was eight years old. I didn't have a car. I was worried about gas, but now I got a car and four or five dollars for gas is outrageous. I just can't pay it. I'd rather stay on my bike. High gas prices have hit everyone, including small business owners. It's definitely affecting everyone, definitely me personally. I mean, um, I drive a four-cylinder, I'm still paying 80 bucks. I drive a couple hundred miles, I own a pool, pool table installation company. Probably drive a couple thousand miles a month, and I mean, I'm paying just, it's, it's not worth it. Triple, triple than what I used to pay. On Sunday, California had the highest average price per gallon among U.S. states at 5.29 a gallon. Right now, as you can see, it's $6.31 a gallon, where I remember it being $2.50 or even $3. I used to put $38 and fill my tank up. Now it's about, as we saw, between $70 and $90. I think that's crazy. Other customers questioned why the conflict in Ukraine has become a factor in the rising prices. I think it's disgusting what's going on, but I don't see why gas prices should go up because of our involvement in the Ukraine. Yeah, if they want to support them, fine. But why do we have to have higher gas prices if that's the case? Jason Deming says he's upset that prices are high, despite supply remaining stable. 
and I think it's the entire system's regulated on how many barrels everybody's releasing, and they always like to play a supply and demand game. The supply's there, they just choose whether or not they're going to release it so they can, you know, fix our oil by barrel prices and continually charging us more at the gas stations because they want to keep their profitability up to keep their shareholders happy. The all-time high for average gasoline prices was set on July 17, 2008, at 4.10 per gallon. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Despite a number of anti-war protests in Russia, the Kremlin is urging Russians to unite around President Putin. Police in the country have arrested at least 8,000 protesters, and a lot of prominent Russians have condemned the war. Addressing the crisis is Larry Klayman, the founder of Judicial Watch and the chairman of Freedom Watch. He shares his perspective on Putin's ambitions. He wants a much bigger Soviet Union. He wants to reconstitute it. Constitute it. Remember Ukraine. I'm, I'm actually, I'm a descendant of Ukrainian grandparents, Jewish Ukrainian grandparents. We left Ukraine, my grandparents, because of anti-Semitism. I'm a Jewish Christian. Now they have a Jewish president. They understand, you know, their place in history today. These people are like us. And we have a moral obligation to do whatever we can to defend them. So let's look at this domestically. The Biden administration has granted temporary protected status to Ukrainians living in the U.S. Do you think the administration has done enough in this regard? I don't know what they've done. I mean, obviously, uh, this is a humanitarian issue. This is an issue where political asylum, it would be legitimate to have people emigrate to this country as long as they're screened as long as we know who they are, that they're not Chechnyans, you know, possible Muslim terrorists and otherwise. Now, Russia claimed that Ukraine was committing genocide in the Donbas region and cited that as the reason for invading. But now a U.S. firm has taken up a case in the International Court of Justice on behalf of Ukraine. Do you think this is going to make an impact? No, because the International Court of Justice is, by and large, over time, a toothless tiger. I actually have a case against Biden there for negligent homicide in Afghanistan. I frankly don't expect anything to come out of it. But Putin will stay in Russia. They won't be able to arrest him. It did work once in the past in the ICC, that's the International Criminal Court, and Spain, where General Pinochet was president of Chile, was indicted, he was convicted. He, he had the good, look, good luck of dying on his own before they grabbed him and put him away for life. But it really never has had much teeth, and it. it's more symbolic than anything else, the International Criminal Court. And by the way, the United States is not a signatory to the International Criminal Court. It would have to be the Europeans that would push that. A U.S. company that provides Internet to Russia is cutting service there, citing the, quote, unprovoked invasion of its neighbor. That's according to the Washington Post. The company's chief executive said he made the move to prevent Russia from using its networks to launch cyber attacks and push propaganda. The U.S. Supreme Court on Monday rejected Republican challenges to congressional maps in North Carolina and Pennsylvania. The high court's two rulings could benefit Democrats in the midterm elections. The North Carolina map drawn by state judges will probably give Democrats at least one more seat in Congress next year. Justices Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, and Neil Gorsuch dissented. In the Pennsylvania case, a group of six Republican voters wanted to freeze a ruling that allowed the maps to take effect and altered the general primary calendar. The Supreme Court rejected that request as well. New York City residents sound cautiously optimistic this week as indoor mask mandates for K-12 public schools were removed. But some expressed mixed reactions over the changed rules for vaccine mandates, which were removed for indoor dining and other venues as well. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. As mask mandates recede, some parents have mixed feelings. I'm conflicted. I'm glad. I think it's better for them um, to see people's faces. It sort of feels normal to us um, at the same time. You know, for the, we had COVID in December and we won't have it, uh, we won't have the antibodies in theory starting after spring break. So I'd rather not go through it again. My whole family of five had it. Others say they're thrilled that masks are no longer required in most spaces. It's a really exciting day and it's, I'm glad that it's finally here. It's been two years of being masked and it's a really good feeling. We're really happy. 
Now, indoor venues, including restaurants, fitness centers, and entertainment spaces are no longer required to check customers' vaccine status before entry. Some residents welcomed the relaxed mask policy. Others worried about vaccination rules. I think, to be honest with you, I'm more, I'm more relaxed about the masks. I'm less relaxed about not checking vaccination records to go into when you want to sit down in the coffee shop or go to dinner. I mean, because I kind of think wearing masks among vaccinated people is kind of superfluous. Beverly Caputo says she's warming up to the idea of no masks, but she voiced concerns about the vaccine mandate changes. The mask I'm getting a little more comfortable with, but the vaccine status always made me feel more comfortable. Yeah, knowing full well that the people around me were you know, vaccinated and I didn't have to worry as much. And I know there's some who state New York City Mayor Eric Adams formally announced the changes on Friday. According to Adams, over 6.4 million New Yorkers are fully vaccinated and over 17 million doses have been administered. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Florida's top health official says the state will be the first to make a break with federal vaccination recommendations for healthy children. He made the announcement on Monday. The Florida Department of Health is going to uh, be the first state to officially recommend against the COVID-19 vaccines for healthy children. You have this lack of trust in the medical establishment and in the CDC and the politicization of those institutions, and, and that's not going to bode well uh, for us as, as a society going forward. Um, uh, an aversion to actual data uh, if it conflicts with the narrative. Dr. Joseph Latipo cited studies that showed few COVID fatalities among healthy children and elevated risk of side effects such as myocarditis among young boys receiving the vaccine. The CDC has strongly recommended that parents have children over the age of five vaccinated despite a sharp decline in infections and hospitalizations nationwide. Infections have gone down since a winter peak in January. There's also evidence that vaccination has been less effective against the Omicron variant. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki responded by saying some politicians are peddling conspiracy theories and casting doubt on vaccinations. She said vaccination is the best tool against the virus and the best tool to prevent teenagers from being hospitalized. COVID-19 can cause the brain to shrink and damage areas linked to memory and smell. That's according to a new study by Oxford University published in the journal Nature. Researchers investigated the brain changes in 785 people aged 51 to 81 whose brains were scanned twice. More than 400 of them had COVID between their two MRI scans. The study found that even mild cases of COVID-19 could cause significant changes to the brain. Participants showed a worsening of executive function responsible for focus and organizing, and their brain sizes shrank by up to 2%. The researchers don't know whether these changes are permanent and said there needs to be further investigation. The study was conducted when the Alpha variant was dominant in Britain and is unlikely to include anyone infected with the Delta variant. It's unclear whether vaccination against COVID had any impact on the condition. The U.S. Capitol could reopen to the public soon. The consideration comes as mask mandates lift in Washington, D.C. and around the country. It's been nearly two years since the Capitol building was closed to the public in response to the pandemic. Lawmakers are now working on how to safely reopen the complex. Democratic chiefs of staff were told Monday to expect more information on potential reopening plans in the next few weeks. The White House says President Biden will use an upcoming trip to Texas to push for a federal rule to help veterans exposed to toxic burn pits. Burn pits were used to incinerate and burn waste, hazardous material, and chemical compounds at military sites in Afghanistan and Iraq. The rule would remove the burden for veterans to prove their toxic exposure resulted in these conditions. The House and Senate have already passed different versions of the bill and must now reconcile the differences and likely re-vote. In Fort Worth Tuesday, Biden will be briefed by doctors at a VA hospital. He'll also speak with veterans, caregivers, survivors, and patient advocates. First responders to the World Trade Center terror attack on 9-11 are at a higher risk for blood cancer. 
That's according to a new study published in the journal Nature Medicine. For two years, researchers collected blood samples from nearly 500 firefighters and emergency medical service workers. The data shows that firefighters who were exposed to toxins at the World Trade Center were at least three times more likely to have cancer-causing gene mutations in their blood than firefighters who were not at the site. Researchers also found that the prevalence of gene mutations increased with the age of the exposed individual. The types of mutations identified in this study have also been associated with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. The Pentagon is shutting down the Navy's massive fuel tank facility in Hawaii. The tank leaked fuel into nearby tap water supplies, sickening thousands of people. Once we have prepared the site for defueling, and we know we can do that safely, we estimate that it'll probably take uh, somewhere within 12 months or so to, to fully defuel uh, and close it. Then once it's closed, um, uh, we'll begin to, to work uh, uh, on uh, what the land use for it looks like going forward. It should have happened a long time ago. And it's unfortunate that it happened under these circumstances and what had to happen with the families in order to get some action. But I'm happy, you know, it's about time. Hopefully they don't drag their feet and it moves quickly so another spill or leak doesn't happen again. The tanks leaked fuel into a drinking water well and contaminated water in Pearl Harbor. Nearly 6,000 people were sickened from the leaks. Most live in military housing. Many military families were moved into hotels away from the contaminated water. The Pentagon said it will move to a more dispersed fueling system for military ships and aircraft in the Indo-Pacific. The Navy's water system serves 93,000 people in military homes and offices in and around Pearl Harbor. The tanks were built into the side of a mountain during World War II to protect them from enemy attack. Astra has released additional footage of a failed payload deployment in space that took place on February 10, 2022. The California-based company says that an anomaly occurred during the stage separation process. This resulted in the upper stage not reaching orbit and the end of the mission. Astra sent its rocket soaring from Cape Canaveral after multiple delays, including a last-second engine shutdown. The 43-foot rocket arced through a clear afternoon sky over the Atlantic, carrying small research satellites sponsored by NASA. But shortly after the first stage booster dropped away, onboard cameras showed the second stage igniting and appearing to tumble. The video cameras went dark less than four minutes into the flight and the airwaves crew silent. The Federal Aviation Administration, or FAA, is working on establishing the basis for certifying lower altitude aircraft known as flying taxis. The Transportation Department's watchdog says it will review the regulator's progress. Interest in flying taxis has grown substantially, but they create complicated safety challenges for the FAA. Flying taxis can be used for passengers and cargo and are designed to operate in populated areas. The sector includes aircraft that uses electrical propulsion to take off, hover, and land vertically. The aircraft typically carry only a few passengers per pilot. The Inspector General's office noted that existing regulation for aircraft certification is still primarily intended for traditional small aircraft with a pilot on board, but in some cases, this new kind of aircraft may be entirely autonomous. Just ahead, a new jobs program at a Chicago area jail gives gang members a chance to leave a life of crime as more businesses are willing to hire amid a labor shortage. A Disney-inspired musical about a Korean princess is making the rounds online. It's the graduation project of a Harvard student. Stay tuned for more here on NTD News. A man trapped by a fast-moving fire in a New Jersey apartment building dropped his young child into the waiting arms of police and firefighters, who then also caught the man. The fire in South Brunswick was reported Monday. Emergency responders at the scene found flames shooting from the second and third floors of one of the buildings. 
The man and his son were on a second floor balcony when authorities told the dad to drop the boy, who appeared to be a toddler. Three officers and a firefighter caught the child and the father soon followed. Both were treated for minor injuries. Authorities say four other people were being treated for smoke inhalation, including one who was hospitalized. Roughly 50 people were displaced by the fire, which remains under investigation. One program at a Chicago area jail is giving gang members a way out. It's connecting them with jobs as more companies become more willing to hire the formerly incarcerated. That's to combat the ongoing pandemic-driven labor shortage. But before they get hired, there's another step involved. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. A focus of the program at the DuPage County Jail is a new tattoo removal wing. Program participants remove or cover their gang tattoos to prove they're serious. By abandoning their previous lives, they risk reprisal from gangs. It was a contract in a way. It was me saying that I belong to a group of people who are going to be looking out for each other no matter what. Participants hope new job opportunities will outweigh those risks. Eric Eck pledged his lifelong loyalty when he joined the Latin Kings in Chicago at 13. The longtime Latin King enforcer is now 36 and trying to leave. To do it, he's looking to scrub his past by erasing his gang tattoos. This is the first time that I've actually had a chance to get out of it. The DuPage County Sheriff welcomes the initiative. It's a material commitment. It goes beyond saying I'm going to do something. No, I'm doing it. I'm getting out today. Many inmates agonize over the decision to cover the tattoos that have been central to their identity, and for good reason. Because once you take those colors off, you're out of the gang life. You're not welcome back in that environment. Executive director of the program, Michael Barry, believes it's a critical step. It's very important for them to, to get that taken care of before they leave here. It also helps them not to be triggered to want to go back into it. And it, it's, it's a helpful reminder not to go back to their neighborhoods. Once freed, Eck wants to own a business. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A Harvard student of Korean descent wrote her own Disney-style princess musical. This graduation piece is inspired by a traditional Korean folktale, and it's making a splash online. Korean folktale-inspired musical has gone viral. It's the creation of a Harvard University student. Hi, my name is Julia Rue, and I'm a Korean-American composer, lyricist, and playwright, and a student at Harvard University studying theater, dance, media, and music. She hopes her creation will become the next big Disney princess movie. I have been writing musicals since I was around 15 or 16, and um, over winter break, I just finished a first draft of my senior thesis musical, which is called Shimcheong, A Folk Tale. Shimcheong, in many ways, is sort of the Disney princess that I wish I could have seen growing up. The full-length musical was part of her senior thesis. But then this story stood out to me in particular because it's about a young woman who goes on an adventure. And in particular, it's about a young woman who is looking to return home and to reunite with her family. With her musical, the 22-year-old from Missouri hopes to bring the younger generation closer to the traditional culture of Korea. I'm a second and a half generation Korean, and I didn't really grow up seeing other Korean American people, didn't really grow up surrounded by Korean culture. My best friend was half Korean, and of course there's my family. Um, but I think I always sort of yearned for this sense of belonging and this sense of community and, and um, a sense of home. Rio has been posting clips in the media since January and has quickly amassed a passionate fan base. And then there's been a lot of visual artists and even Hollywood film producers and um, Broadway producers um, that are also interested in the project that have reached out. Rio said Disney has done an admirable job bringing diversity into the mainstream, but the media giant can and should go even further. It's important not only for the kids growing up to be able to see themselves on screen, but for other people to see stories about people that don't look like them. It, it humanizes us and it shows that we are also people with lives and with families and who go on adventures. But even if the House of Mouse ultimately doesn't come calling, Ryu is optimistic her musical will live on far into the future. United Nations Human Rights Chief Michelle Bachelet says she will make a visit to China in May. Her trip will include a stop in the country's Xinjiang region. 
I am pleased to announce that we have recently uh, reached an agreement with the government of China for a visit. Hence, my office and the government uh, of China have initiated concrete preparations for a visit that is foreseen will take place in May of this year. There have long been calls for the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights to visit Xinjiang. Rights groups say about one million Uyghurs are being held there in mass detention. Meanwhile, the U.S. government and parliaments of five other countries have accused Beijing of genocide in the region. For years, Bachelet's office has been collecting evidence of Uyghur abuses, though China has rejected the allegations, claiming the camps are so-called vocational centers designed to combat extremism. Bachelet is concerned about those who have spoken out against the Chinese government's human rights policies. She said some dissidents have faced house arrest or criminal charges like imprisonment because of their activities. She said her office has raised such cases with the Chinese regime and demanded the authorities to ensure their freedom. Her visit will be the first visit to the China by the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights since 2005. U.S. space analysts say that new satellite photos show construction at North Korea's nuclear testing site. This raises fears that Pyongyang could resume major weapons testing. Specialists at the James Martin Center for Nonproliferation Studies looked at images taken on Friday at the Pyongyang-ri site. They appeared to show construction of a new building, repair of another one, and what is possibly lumber and sawdust. Pungai-ri is North Korea's only known nuclear site where it carried out six tests from 2006 to 2017. It was closed and dismantled in 2018 when North Korea declared a self-imposed moratorium on nuclear weapons tests. Leader Kim Jong-un, however, says he no longer feels bound by that moratorium with denuclearization talks stalled since 2019. That being said, the U.S. analysts say the area is many months, if not years, from being ready for new nuclear tests. North Korea tested a record number of missiles in January. On Monday, the U.S. and 10 other countries criticized the failure of the U.N. Security Council to condemn those launches, saying it erodes the credibility of the Council and global non-proliferation regime. Still to come, Ukrainian foster children are trying to stay safe while staying in Ukraine, but a city with a children's shelter is preparing for the worst. Torrential rains plummet Australia's largest city. Floodwaters have already killed almost two dozen. Find out more after this short break. The EU estimates more than 7 million Ukrainians could be internally displaced by Russia's invasion, with the number of refugees fleeing the country potentially higher. Many have come to the city of Lviv in western Ukraine, which hasn't seen the intense fighting of other regions. We take a look at a government-run children's shelter, where the caregivers say that while the kids are currently safe, they are preparing for the worst if invasion comes to Lviv. In a government-run children's shelter in Lviv in western Ukraine, kids being kids. No parents looking after them, though. They're foster children from troubled homes, among several hundred evacuated here from places where Russian shells are falling. They're safe for now, but already scarred by this war. We could tell those kids were very worried when they have arrived. When they heard the first siren here during the day, some had a panic attack. They were looking at me with their scared eyes, shaking from anxiety. Several humanitarian organizations are helping shelters like this take care of the children and the many more who will come in the days and weeks ahead. The Russian military not in this part of the country yet. We are ready. We only hope that the situation doesn't get worse here, because then we will have to move somewhere with all those kids too. And it is scary. They're just kids. Affected by conflict, 
John Shmohan is a Ukrainian-American living here, working with an NGO, the Ukrainian Education Platform, providing humanitarian assistance for people headed to the borders, but also helping those who've left their homes but don't want to leave their country, the internally displaced. I think the city is preparing for the worst um, and uh, are ready. I mean, we see thousands of people coming into Lviv today um, of families that are looking for a place to stay. And I think uh, one of the objectives for the families, for the children, is to provide the necessary accommodations so they don't have to become refugees and go abroad. Lviv, a city so far spared the physical impact of war, but ready for when that war might arrive. The war in Ukraine has shaken Brighton Beach. It's a neighborhood where residents from Russia and other former Soviet Union countries have been living side by side for decades, earning it the nickname Little Odessa. The war in Ukraine and the unfolding humanitarian crisis has sent shockwaves around the world. And in New York's Brighton Beach neighborhood, where Russians and Ukrainians have lived side by side for decades along with others from the former Soviet Union, the invasion has stirred up complicated emotions. It's heartbreaking and it's one story when you see it in the news and the other story when you get pictures through messenger or WhatsApp from your friends hiding in basements. It's a tragedy. Many Ukrainians living in the area nicknamed Little Odessa agree the community has really come together in a show of support. Ukrainian flags hang from many businesses and donation drives in support of Ukrainians have sprung up across the neighborhood and beyond. This local beauty salon owner teared up describing how donations were coming not just from Ukrainians, but from Russians, Georgians, Uzbeks and more. <laughs> Volunteers are also collecting donations at Brighton Beach's Guardian Angel Roman Catholic Church. The plan is to ship much-needed supplies to contacts in Poland who can help get the packages into Ukraine. One volunteer said she prays for loved ones there. It's hard for people like me who has no tears left to express the feelings anymore. It just, that's the only way we can express it by helping and do like something as a diaspora or something like that. Another member of the church, who was born in Ukraine and spent most of her life in Moscow, lamented all the suffering. It's terrible. I don't know why. Nobody knows. But remember, remember, love your neighbors like yourself. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is causing the rebranding of a popular line of vodka. The maker of Stolichnaya Vodka says the liquor will now be sold and marketed simply as... Stoli. Stoli Group's founder, Russian-born billionaire Yuri Scheffler, says the move is in response to his, quote, vehement position against the Putin regime and the invasion. Scheffler was exiled from that nation in 2000 because of his opposition to Putin. The company is now emphasizing the vodka's Latvian roots and Slovakian sources. In the U.S., officials in a number of states have called on liquor stores to get rid of Russian-made or Russian-branded products which in many cases include vodka. Flood warnings stretched across Australia's east coast on Tuesday, and tens of thousands of Sydney residents fled their homes. Torrential rains again plummeted the country's largest city, flooding several large suburbs. Tens of thousands of Australians have fled their homes as flood warnings stretch across the country's east coast. Torrential rains have pummeled the country's largest city, Sydney, flooding the streets of several large suburbs. Nearly two dozen people have been reported dead since floods in Australia began late last month. Local authorities said Tuesday a 67-year-old woman and her 34-year-old son in western Sydney were found dead near an abandoned car in a stormwater canal. New South Wales Emergency Service Commissioner Carlene York called the flooding unprecedented. I think what's happening in, or I know what's happening in this event is people make decisions based on past history and I think this event has shown that this is, there is no past history similar to this event. While Bureau of Meteorology forecaster Dean Naramore said more flooding was expected from Queensland to Victoria. A tough 24 hours or even 48 hours ahead. And even if the rain does stop on Wednesday and Thursday, which it will, there's still a lot of water in these rivers. 
Australia's eastern rivers were already near capacity, following record downpours in several parts of Queensland and New South Wales states over recent weeks. Those rains cut off entire towns, swept away farms and livestock, and shut down power for countless residents. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison has ordered further emergency personnel to flood-hit areas. A passenger train derailed today in Argentina, leaving injured passengers. The accident happened at around 6 a.m. close to the town of Olivaria, located south of Argentina's capital, Buenos Aires. One passenger said, I was half asleep. We were all asleep. It felt as if we were sliding. Ambulance and firefighters helped the passengers after the accident. According to local media, about 100 passengers suffered minor injuries. 20 people were taken to the hospital. The lost painting of Italian Baroque master Guido Reni is on display in a Roman exhibition. The collection explores the themes of the sacred and natural in his works. Here's NTD's Andrew Thomas with the details. Danza Campestre by Italian Baroque master Guido Reni was returned to Rome last year. It's the focus of an exhibition dedicated to the artist at the Galleria Borghese. Guido Reni in Rome, Nature and Devotion, opened March 1st. It comes more than 30 years after the last exhibition in Italy dedicated to him. Painted around 1605, it was part of Cardinal Scipione Borghese's famous art collection. Guido Reni's country dance painting left the Borghese collection at the end of 19th century, and the last news we had of it was that it was sold in the rooms of Palazzo Borghese in Campo Marzio. It then returned to the international art market a few years ago and immediately attracted the attention of the Borghese Gallery, and it was purchased and returned here in December 2020. The exhibition reconstructs the artist's early years in Rome, his study of antiquity and the Renaissance, and his admiration of the paintings of Caravaggio. What does it mean? Vincenzo Giustiniani, who is a very important source for the 1600s, spoke of Guido Reni in relation to two aspects. First, at the most perfect way of painting, because he considered him to be at the top of the painters of his time, because he painted accordingly to the matter of the early Florentine painters, with the study of the past, but with the modern example of natural elements, and therefore also with an extraordinary relationship to reality. Rennie's experience strongly influenced his work as shown by a crucifixion of St. Peter and David with the head of Goliath. His painting becomes stronger, the figures become sculptural and monumental, not only because he was influenced by Caravaggio, but also because of the statues from which he draws a lot of inspiration. However, Rennie has his own style that he never abandons. In particular, the palette of light and bright colors and the sense of balance and measure that makes him an absolutely classist painter. Guido Reni arrived in Rome around 1601 at the age of 26. Already enjoying a flourishing career in his home region, he had traveled there in search of new opportunities. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Many people choose low-fat dairy thinking it's the healthier choice. But is that true? We'll find out in today's health segment. Here's Gina Marie, who brings us Strong Mind and Body. Many people opt for low or fat-free dairy when they order their morning lattes, but this may not be the best option if you're trying to improve your health. Dairy products are often stripped of their natural fats and fatty acid profiles. This promotes unhealthy weight gain. It also increases a person's risk of developing heart disease, diabetes and other related ailments. Believe it or not, the ridiculous fat makes you fat myth is still surprisingly prevalent in many segments of society. But this will only happen through continued education on the latest science, which is abundantly clear on the matter. A series of recent studies conclusively shows that consumption of low and non-fat dairy products encourages the formation of metabolic disease. This includes obesity, high cholesterol, insulin resistance, diabetes and heart disease. A meta-analysis of 16 studies found that all of these risk factors are directly associated with low and non-fat dairy consumption. Conversely, full-fat dairy consumption was found to be associated with a decreased risk of all of these conditions. 
By removing the fat from dairy products, food processors end up removing a host of fatty acids and other nutrients along with it. These vital constituents aid in the digestion and assimilation of other dairy components like whey. They also supply the body with necessary protection against gut and cardiovascular degradation. Some people still contend that animal dairy is for baby animals and isn't intended for human consumption. It is important to remember that everybody's body is different. Some people require a boost of vitamin K for instance, which is only really found in high amounts of full fat dairy. Dairy fat is also an excellent source of healthy saturated fats when it comes from organic grass-fed animals that have been treated humanely. For centuries, a wide variety of cultures have consumed raw and cultured dairy products made from whole milk. For the milk to be healthy, cows need clean air and water, pastures to graze, of course grass-fed is important, adequate space, holistic healthcare and a stress-free and toxic-free environment. Also, much of what is available in your local grocery store has been damaged by processing. This includes pasteurization, homogenization, milk standardization, extra additives and plastic packaging. If you would like to get your hands on raw milk, visit your local dairy farm or look up realmilk.com. They have a map of locations across the US where you can purchase it. Thanks for watching. At NTD, we're honored to be your source for the news. Catch us again tonight at 6.30 Eastern. In New York City, I'm Kevin Hogan.